The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Joining us today is Jonathan Mee. He's a professor at Columbia Business School and a senior advisor at the investment bank Evercore, who just came out with a book with some interesting counterintuitive insight on the tech giants called The Platform Delusion that comes out on September 7th. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. It's great to have you. The book is called Platform Delusion. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about platforms. Clearly, we talk a lot about it here, uh, especially with regard to the tech giants. So it's interesting to hear you right in the title say that there's a delusion going on. So I want to hear first, what's the delusion and who's the people uh, that are who are the people that are being deluded? Well, the basic delusion is that saying the word platform tells you a whole lot about whether a business is good or great or destined to take over the world uh, or uh, a fabulous uh, investing opportunity uh, or should be regulated to death by (laughs) the government. Uh, it's, It's a word that is so laden, has become so laden and has become sort of a uh, effectively a trigger word both for investors and frankly for uh, for regulators. Uh, and the reality is uh, the fact that something is a platform by itself tells you relatively little uh, that matters uh, about it. Uh, I'm sorry, it tells you relatively little little that matters about the underlying business. That is, you know, the, what what is the definition of a platform? A, a platform is a company that doesn't make stuff. It is a company whose fundamental value proposition uh, comes from the connections that it makes. That is the connections that it enables and enhances, whether that's a connection by being a platform to enable a transaction in a marketplace, whether it's a connection to uh, let Alex meet his future wife uh, on a, uh, as a platform uh, for, uh, for dating, uh, whether it's a connection between uh, a software developer uh, and users, uh, a, a platform to encourage uh, and uh, mm-hmm. enhance innovation. It's, uh, it's the entire business model is about creating a space that enables two, two entities, whether it's a person or a business or otherwise, to connect uh, and the value that they create comes from that. So that's what a platform is. Plenty of those. So Google is obviously a platform. It connects uh, advertisers with uh, uh, with uh, with searchers. Um, uh, Facebook is obviously a, a platform for connecting uh, the various members of the Facebook community, uh, as well as, frankly, uh, uh, developers. So there are lots of different platform models, and many of them are great businesses. But even more of them are shitty businesses. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, just saying that something is a platform 
which everybody does, <laughs> whether it is or it isn't, because they right. think if you say the magic word platform, you get three times more <laughs> valuation. Uh, if you read, uh, if you read IPO filings, I mean, like every other, every other sentence has the word platform, uh, whether appropriate, uh, or, uh, or not. Yeah. I've, I've always had a much narrower definition of what a platform is. Uh, I've always thought that a platform is something that a tech company builds that allows people to build on top of it. Hence the platform, they build a platform and then people build on top. Amazon web services is, is one example, but I do agree with you that it's completely an overused term and people just throw it around everywhere. Like I think, um, you know, we've spoken in the past and you've mentioned that sweet green calls itself like a, which is a, a salad place calls itself like a, a salad platform or something like that. Uh, a food platform. Well, at food least that's platform, what they, which is there, so it, it, unbelievably <laughs> absurd. It is, it has become like, you know, artificial intelligence where like people use this buzzword everywhere and they try to, you know, get uh, technology style multiples on their, on their valuation, which to me is totally insane. And, and even where something is a platform, the, the relentless pounding of the word to suggest that it somehow in itself is telling you something super important about the business is just silly. So uh, take a business like Compass, which is uh, which is basically a real What's estate Compass? brokerage. Yeah, Compass a is a, it just went public. It's a it's sort of a tech enabled, uh, high end, clever uh, real estate brokerage. But it's a brokerage. All middlemen businesses are effectively platforms. <laughs> um, and, you know, real estate brokerage and Compass is a platform. But when it goes public, does it really need to use the word platform 300 times in the prospectus? I mean, does that, does no, it really, that that's what does we, it really yeah. let people the, know something yeah. super special about the business? Not, not so no, much. That's what we call in, in, uh, in this world, trying too hard. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm curious. Okay. So, you, you know, I, you wrote a book about this. So writing a book is a, is a pretty serious endeavor. It takes a lot of time. You have to basically pour your life into it. So why, I mean, why did you write a book about it? What, who were you writing for? What were you trying? What was the sense of urgency that caused you to write something? Like what's the danger in having, um, you know, people be deluded about platforms? Where, where's the societal need for us to be able to read book length, uh, uh, you know, uh, digging into something like this? So, uh, well, you sound like my publisher. Who's going to read this? Who's your Who's oh, your audience? That's true. <laughs> yeah, I know them well, so I guess I can handle them since we've, we've written with the same publisher. Yeah, but go ahead. Um, so, look, you know, the answer is it, it, it built up over time. I've been teaching a class called Digital Investing, uh, which is not about how to open an E-Trade account, but is about uh, is about digital business models and and how to think about them. Uh, and over time, from two, two, I guess three different angles, I, I started to say, you know what, this is getting crazy and it's not good for the world uh, that uh, people are just uh, confusing what the real source of strength of businesses are. The reality is what makes a business strong is a uh, for the long term is a competitive structure or structural competitive advantages that is things things that allow you to do stuff that other people can't um, and some platform businesses have it and some of them don't uh, and replacing that fundamental insight 
about what makes businesses good with a bunch of random buzzwords is bad long term for a couple of reasons. One, you know, in good times like this, look, it's true. If you just bought a NASDAQ ETF for the last few years, you're a fucking genius. You're doing great. Right. And Mm -hmm. but the reality is things things don't go up forever. And if if you don't understand the distinctions and the nuances, things will get bad uh, at some point. And it's just not healthy for the world, for people to uh, uh, to uh, sort of make up bases for uh, for their success on a post hoc basis that doesn't make uh, any sense. Secondly, there's this notion uh, that um, somehow these businesses have inevitable success uh, built into them. And the place there that honestly uh, disturbs me is the number of uh, people who come out of business schools where I am, but undergraduates Mm -hmm. as well, who are going to these businesses on the, on the theory that, you know, they're going to get insanely rich and it's, it's a sure thing. And uh, uh, it's going to, and life is going to be good. And the reality is going to early stage Mm -hmm. companies uh, is not for everybody. Uh, it's for a relatively few people. And, and when literally 50% of the graduating classes of top business schools are going, are either starting their own businesses or going to businesses that have, you know, a few dozen employees, uh, something, something is, something is wrong. So, uh, the the point of uh, this really is to tell people to stop the music for a moment, stand back, and actually take a look at these businesses, look at the distinctions between them, both the very, very successful ones, which are successful for very, very different reasons, but also look underneath the early stage ones, some of which are growing fast, but aren't, it isn't clear that they will ultimately have a sustainable business model. Yeah. So I guess part of this is for the students. And by the way, that's a good foreshadow. We'll get to that in the third segment. And then part of it is for investors. You know, Jonathan, you, you've worked in finance. I'll I'll throw one, I'll I'll throw one other thing too. Okay. Part of it is also for regulators. (laughs) Yeah. Just because again, it's stupid for an investor to say, oh, it's platform business. I'm throwing my money in there. It's also mm-hmm. stupid for regulators to say, oh, it's a platform business. We need to regulate the hell out of it. Yeah. <laughs> that is, you know, market power is something that needs to be looked at closely to make sure that it is not abused. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is absolutely true. But again, saying, well, we're going to have a separate category of regulation that only applies to quote tech platforms really kind of misses misses the point yeah i mean sweet green might be uh careful what it wishes for if it actually wants to be a platform <laughs> then the ftc might <laughs> exactly. not exactly no i'm kidding I, I don't think that the uh <laughs> ftc and doj are going to go after every business that calls itself a platform and i think they're yeah, that's right they're a little bit more precise than that but um a yeah, little, I but but uh, to yeah. me, the difference between right. I mean, and and there are bad things that these different big companies are doing, but some of them yeah. are just bad behavior that should 
be punished for being bad. You know, if it's true that Amazon is stealing data from people uh, and using it to build their own things, that's not an antitrust violation. That's like theft. <laughs> that's bad, right? Uh, uh, mm. and, and and Amazon does that and does other things because it's relentless because it has to be because it's a tiny margin business. That's a very, very different thing from saying, well, yeah. in the case of Google or uh, Apple, uh, we need to put some guardrails on the mm. nature of their uh, 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 of how open their um, their platform is and how they interact with other people who interact with the platform, which makes sense. But again, very very different situations. Man, I have so many questions for you about what you just said, but I, I want to put that aside for a second. We'll get to them. I'm, I'm not going to forget them, but I want to get back to the to the premise here. Um, which is the platform thing. I wonder, I mean, it must feel, so I, I, I was saying earlier, you, you've been in finance for, for many years, um, you know, of course, working alongside the, uh, with your work at Columbia Business School. It must feel kind of lonely to be a man waving a flag out there being like, hey, uh, maybe we should have rational valuations because, you know, I wonder how much of this is people saying, you know, traces back to the word platform and how much of it is just, you know, money trying to find places to get a return and basically willing to take any signal that there might be more than standard returns. And then platform is, you know, perhaps one of them where people see platform and they invest because, you know, zero interest rate policy just is making money cheap and it's going wherever it can go, going to NFTs, going to Bitcoin, going to any company that raises its hand and say, say, uh, and says it's a platform. And so looking at the broader picture, um, how much of this is actually just a story about our economy today and how frothy the markets are? I, you know, uh, look, I, I, there's no question that uh, th- this isn't the first time we've seen this movie, right? There was the first internet boom, uh, and there were and there were all uh, th- there were different crazy metrics that had nothing to do with anything <laughs> that people. Uh, that people hung their hat on. And and over the course of history, I mean, I wrote two books uh, about uh, one about the media industry and one about people who invest in education, which again, each of them had, had their, their own mythology around uh, to entice people to put uh, uh, to put their money into uh, things that really, uh, really didn't, really didn't make any sense. There is a natural uh, tendency to want to find a simple, all-encompassing theory <laughs> that will allow you to safely uh, get rich. Um, and th- unfortunately, there are a bunch of people who have an incentive <laughs> to encourage those views, right? That is, if you're a venture capitalist uh, who has a bunch of of uh, a bunch of companies that some of which are good and most of which turned out not to be good. Uh, you're interested in getting some, if, if they're not that good, you're interested in getting the greater fool to take you out of, uh, uh, take you out of those. If you're the CEO of a public company that's trading at an insane valuation that you know on the intrinsically probably isn't shouldn't be worth that. You wanna you wanna keep the music uh, going. So it's one of these things that takes on uh, a life of its own, and there's a huge sort of incentive to keep 
to keep the the flywheel the flywheel evaluation going once it started because the downside once it collapses in terms of you know in terms of employees in terms of not i mean in terms of obviously your own wealth uh is uh, is not trivial and hearing you say that, I love having finance people on the show. Um, I, I have to ask you the question. Uh, are you, with your personal savings and investments, betting on the market? Are you playing it more safe with uh, you know, bonds and stuff like that? What's, what does it look like uh, inside Jonathan Nee's portfolio? I'm really boring. <laughs> I, I, am, I, 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 am an, I am an ETF kind of guy uh, because, look, the reality is there's only so many hours in a day and um, uh, if I'm not going to do the work, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not trusting anybody else to be picking stocks. And uh, so it, it's a mix uh, of, of ETFs uh, in the in the in the broader public market, as well as uh, uh, some some funds uh, uh, for around debt, sort of more senior the capital, a mix of senior and uh, more speculative of the capital uh, stack. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, the re and then there's like a little slug that is the fun month, my fun money, which is people who I know, who I think are smart, who I trust. And I tell them I'll make, if they're raising money, I say, uh, I'd be happy to give you money under one condition, which is I don't have to hear a fucking thing about it. Excuse my French. Until until it's <laughs> over, I don't I don't want the yeah. quarterly update. I'm betting on you. I know you, and uh, this is a little. If I lose it all, it's not enough that it's going to kill me. Uh, I trust you, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But let me know when it's over, and not before. So that's my portfolio. Love that style. I'll send you an email when big technology raises. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we're we're not going to raise. Okay, let's go to break. Uh, I want to talk to you about the tech giants. You said some stuff about Amazon that I want to pick apart or pick in, dig into. We'll, uh, we'll see if it stands, and uh, we'll come back right after this on the Big Technology Podcast with Jonathan Neat. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back here on the Big Technology Podcast with Jonathan Nee. He's the author of the new book, Platform Delusion. We've been talking about it. Also professor at the Columbia Business School. Let's get right back into the tech giant discussion now that we've talked about the premise of the book. So, I'm kind of curious to hear your perspective. So you don't think that Congress should regulate Amazon for taking data uh, from third-party merchants and uh, using that to improve its own products. Data it would only get uh, if these third-party merchants had to use it in order to get to customers. Uh, but you are open to some rules and, and regulation around Google and, App, uh, Google and Apple, maybe because of their you know, mobile operating system, which I think is like a mobile operating system is the definition of a platform. You know, it's an operating system where you build apps on top of it. So what's your perspective in terms of the way that we should handle these these companies? So uh, so to be clear, I'm not saying that shouldn't be regulated. I just it, it's a different kind of regulation. That's hmm. bad behavior. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's bad behavior. That should and bad behavior, you know, gets 
punished if that if, if they did that. Now we have well, the point is there's pro- no rules about it right now though, especially that stuff. That's okay, and that's right. But those rules should not be antitrust rules. Those should be consumer laws. data yeah. laws and data protection rules. And in fact, look, uh, 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 and uh, unfortunately. You know, Congress is a spineless beast, and mm-hmm. you know they love to complain uh, about regulators. But the reason why r- r- regulators don't know what they're doing is that Congress refuses to pass very specific laws. Even, I mean, even the antitrust laws, if you actually read them, are so mm-hmm. broad and vague. It's really just court cases that have defined them over time, uh, and the only way things get passed is by making them vague. So they, what they, what Congress does uniformly is pass a bunch of vague thing and then bitch about it later <laughs> yeah. because they didn't have the spine to do it in the first place. Not only that, they don't fund the, the regulators at totally, all. So totally. it's like they pass these laws that regulators don't. But on can't consumer protection, exactly, and yeah. on consumer protection, interestingly, people don't realize this. There is no consumer data protection law that doesn't exist. The FTC kind of uses its sort of generic authority to to uh, to uh, try to regulate this topic, but it needs much more real and specific authority. And and in fact, I would say one category of regulation that I'm quite sympathetic to uh, to deal with certain platforms whose compet whose advantage does come from having such a unique um, uh, walled garden of data that uh, gives it an advantage over uh, over others, uh, and that that does limit the, the ability of others to innovate and create uh, exciting, interesting, competing products. One category of potential uh, uh, regulation, which I think John Battelle has uh, suggested, is that people individually actually own their own data that they create in the context of interacting with these and that mm-hmm. they can port it and share it with others, uh, with other platforms, right? So that is so something like that, I think, is interesting. My point, again, about Amazon is not that Amazon should be free to, to go around and, and steal shit from people. Uh, it's that it's not an anti it's it's not an antitrust issue it's a bad behavior issue right and uh and that should be regulated that way whereas uh uh something like you know search uh where it's it, it appears to be something close to a natural monopoly you want to put some constraints on the abuse of that monopoly position. You know, it's interesting. The U.S. law, as I said, if you read the antitrust laws, it either, if you just read them straight, cold, you'd say, well, either everything is illegal or nothing's illegal. It's impo- it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, in, in the European context, they have a, a notion that what is illegal is the abuse of a monopoly position. That is not illegal in the U.S., Right. It, it, and to me, that is the concept. Correct. That the makes maintenance sense. of and monopoly is the or the way you got the, it. But once you get a monopoly, right. it's all about did you do it? It's really that's interesting right. stuff. Yes, that's right. There, there is one bill in Congress right now, one of the six antitrust bills that does have that data portability aspect. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think that's interesting. Of, it's interesting, but I also sort of have felt that like the 
the individual data is not what makes these platforms valuable. It's the combined aggregate data. So yeah, maybe you could like take your Facebook data, but where do you put it? Like, do you put it in Twitter? Well, they don't really have like a lot of the functionality that Facebook has. I think that's the first step. I mean, there are Mm -hmm. a bunch of really interesting businesses out there that do try to create complete, for instance, in the advertising uh, uh, space, you know, uh, uh, like the the trade desk or live ramp, where they, right, they these try are to aggregate platforms where you can That's buy right. ads. Yep. Where they and you know I I am confident that if if data was portable in that way, there would be entrepreneurs uh, and products that uh, created by people who were who aggregated all of that uh, and and created an important counterweight to what. Uh, to, to what the uh, the big platforms have. Yeah, but I guess that would also require like a consumer or person, if you don't want to use the jargon, <laughs> deciding to take their Facebook data and like hand it over to a company like the Trade Desk, which is built entirely to target ads to them. And that's a heck of a burden on, on the person themselves um, that I don't think people would generally be thrilled to do. Although I've been surprised uh, in this world before, so maybe it will happen again. And and uh, I think smart entrepreneurs would say, "Hey, we'll pay you something. We'll give you some benefit from this, and we will pro- and we will promise to uh, only use this on a, you know, uh, you know, you, you you might have different options for you know at, at different uh, at different uh, value propositions in terms of uh, how the data is used. Yeah, well, that Whether is it's anonymized or not, and all of that. Yeah." Totally. I, I just think, but but the point is, it wouldn't be mm-hmm. just stuck behind the walled garden. It, right, it would right. create a marketplace for people to figure out how to mm-hmm. use this stuff. It, it it would be in play. It would be in play, and I think that's be an interesting way to uh, uh, to 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 move to move the needle. But you know, some of those bills have crazy, just straight up crazy stuff. Like, you know, oh, I know I've, I agree with you. I've written about, how I mean, you know, oh, you, you can't, you, you can't let a consumer compare my marketplace product with, <laughs> with yeah. another product on the same screen. Well, I mean, Ooh. that's called transparency and innovation and that's, right. you know, good well, for consumers. Yeah. I don't know if the laws go that far, but there are definitely some that really made me scratch my head. Essentially, Especially the one that like ended uh, or would end the tech giant's ability effectively to acquire companies, which to me was just so beyond ridiculous. Like you can't you can't cut off the exit path to startups right. just because right. you're not but happy with that. That, that is something. W- some sometimes the unintended consequences you can't see, but that one yeah. it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious <laughs> that if you totally. can't if you can't exit, nobody's going to put money in the first uh, first uh, instance. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've touched on Facebook a little bit. Um, you know, the platform book is interesting because Facebook is one of those platforms. Um, and I view it as the most vulnerable of the tech giants. It doesn't have an operating system. You don't need to go to Facebook. You do need to go to Apple or Google if you're going to use a phone. You need to go to Microsoft. Most often, if you work in a company, uh, Amazon, if you want stuff delivered, I mean, you could get around Amazon, but it's tough. You're definitely using websites that have. AWS on the back end. Facebook, you don't need to use. So yep. what is your view on the health of Facebook as a platform and where it's going from here? Look, you know, when you uh, when you read the emails, the internal Facebook emails, uh, 
that were uh, revealed in those congressional hearings. Uh, as much as Facebook likes to strut around, they're obviously scared shitless. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they, they are. Mm-hmm. They are. Those are the emails, not of a master of the universe who's confident that that they control everything. Uh, they are people who are uh, deeply sensitive to their inherent vulnerabilities. Um, social n- networks. Uh, the, the 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 phrase that Zuckerberg used in those emails is, you know, there's a finite number of what he called. Uh, social mechanics, that is, different ways that human beings would interact uh, through some different kinds of uh, networks. And it's very difficult, you know, WeChat notwithstanding, which is a kind of weird, incredible Uber app, but it's in the Chinese context. It's not clear. It's not clear that, you know, that a Facebook could have effectively built a... um, a um, uh, something as uh, powerful as the companies that they ended up buying, uh, rather than just ending up buying them from from within one social mechanic to build another social mechanic. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that said, what they have done, and if you look at the the building of Facebook, relentlessly is figuring out how to keep people engaged, how to make it sticky, how to make uh, it uh, make the uh, experience integrated into your day-to-day life in ways that you don't even re- realize, whether it is it's how you sign into things, it's how you contact certain people, it's how you make certain day-to-day decisions. Um, they've done a fabulous job of that. And if you kind of look at the the product roadmap over time, they've done a fabulous job. That doesn't mean it's not incredibly uh, vulnerable in in its way. That is, uh, you know, whether you look at TikTok or, you know, one of the one of the fights that is being had in the litigation right now uh, is, you know, is YouTube a, a social network? Uh, because if it is, it looks like it might be bigger than, um, uh, and, and it is clearly in some ways uh, that it might be uh, from a market definition it, that it's actually quite a, an important question. Um, yeah. Uh, so look, it is. Uh, uh, so what I would say is, it is definitely vulnerable. Um, uh, it, it the demographics that uh, its core proposition has d- is not. Uh, putting aside uh, Instagram or for the core Facebook, you know, is very, uh, does not, you know, my my daughter is 17. I don't know anybody in her world beyond very narrow use cases that, uh, that is on, that is on Facebook. That said, they've run the company smartly and well. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's, uh, and if you look at, you know, people always focus on the absolute, uh, R&D budgets of businesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you always, there's every year there's an article that says Amazon has the biggest, mo- more R&D than anybody in the world. Uh, but if you look at R&D, the big fixed cost as a percentage of revenue, Facebook crushes all of these. So they mm-hmm. know about their vulnerability and they are investing to keep these people there. Um, uh, so, 
there's some, there's uh, something of like a business miracle, actually, if you think about it, because I, social media, social networking, especially, is like the most fickle of all spaces when it comes to the people using them. There have been so many networks that have come and gone. You know, the thing about obviously the ones that we talk about, MySpace and Tumblr, but even the upstarts that had a moment, uh, Peach, they were gone yep. in a moment. People got bored and they left. And Facebook just finds this way to, um, you know, keep reinventing itself and build new products that are sticky, um, whether it's, you know, copying directly something like stories or, you know, I, I've personally just moved to uh, New York from San Francisco and I furnished the entire apartment from Facebook Marketplace. And I'm planning to really? write about this at some point. And it is That's amazing. I mean, it puts, uh, it just embarrasses Craigslist how good it is um, because it's that it has that integration with, with Facebook uh, uh, Messenger that you can just connect with people real quick when you're interested in stuff. And of course, it has the machine learning algorithms working behind the scenes. So if you start searching for stuff, it says, well, how about this? And it's very easy to find what you want. So. Uh, I, I, I think it's, that's going to be a massive, massive product for them. And by the way, uh, just one last thing about marketplace. It kept me on Facebook more than I'd ever been on Facebook before in, in years. Interesting. Um, and Interesting. I was like, I had never spent this much time, but I'm back. So, you know, the, and, and, you know, on the antitrust front, you know, when you, when you read those emails, you can interpret them two different ways. And depending which way you interpret them, yes, it has yeah, big, big implications for, for antitrust. So, I mean, when you look at them talking about, you know, they spent $20 billion on WhatsApp, which at the time had like a couple of dozen employees. I mean, it was growing very fast. And he was obviously afraid that this alternative social mechanic would become huge and they wouldn't have any way to compete with it. Um, but it's one thing if somebody says, oh, I see an alternative social mechanic, I'm going to buy it and kill it so yeah. that it doesn't take over. That's not what they did. They basically said, look, I'm in the social <laughs> business. I can't be in that part mm -hmm. of it. So, uh, I'm not going to be able to compete with that. I want, I, I want to, I want to, but I'm really good at managing social networks. So I want to buy one. Uh, as many of these alternative social mechanics and then optimize them. So he bought mm -hmm. this business for $20 billion that lost money. And by the way, still loses money or, or, or still, I mean, or break, I mean, I, I forget what the latest number is, but it's basically irrelevant. They don't really have a right. revenue model for the amount yet. of users it's it has. It's, it's not breathtaking. The, a giant business that you and they, imagine. And, but they then invested billions, making mm -hmm. it a far better product mm -hmm. on, you know, the shareholders dime. It still doesn't make any, it still doesn't have a revenue, multiple, a revenue model. It's much, it's huge now. It's more robust. It's still largely, they've started to integrate a bit. It's still largely on a different tech stack, still largely a completely separate business. And honestly, you ask yourself the question, you know, if it had been on its own, what, you know, <laughs> the idea that they let them buy it for $20 billion, they invested in it, made it an incredible product, which it is, who is hurt by that? It's not like they, it'd be one thing if they bought it to, you know, it, 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 there are companies that, uh, that are vulnerable and they think a good strategy is to do whack-a-mole. Just buy a bunch of competitors or people who they think are smarter or better than them doing exactly what they do and then fucking killing them 
right? That's something mm-hmm. antitrust authorities should stop. Yeah. But here, if you look at it carefully, what the, he's saying, he's saying is, look, there are these alternative social mechanics. We could run, you know, I, I, I would like that to be part of our overall company. We're good at managing different social mechanics. Let's buy it and be the person who blows it out and optimizes it. It'd be one thing if you thought, if you saw anything that they did that suggested that they were making it less good, uh, you know, sure, you would have a concern. Now, the argument could be that, oh, uh, they were afraid somebody, you know, if Twitter had bought them, you know, Twitter, you know, it, Twitter would become a much broader competitive Facebook. But the reality is, WeChat, notwithstanding, that's just not how these products tend to work. People have yeah. people go to different things for different purposes. This is a narrative violation, Jonathan. I got to I've got to be careful. No, I'm kidding. I'm glad that you're bringing <laughs> this up. It's it's good to have this alternate perspective here, and I don't think it's one that gets aired enough. Facebook does have its problems. I'm not saying it doesn't, but. I've definitely kind of laughed at the idea uh, that it's a monopoly. Let's go to one more break. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you're seeing students go to startups and uh, not to other jobs, and that's something of concern to you. Uh, I'm personally curious to unpack that a bit. Let's do that in our final segment here on the Big Technology sure. Podcast. We'll be back right after this. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back here for one final segment on the Big Technology Podcast with Jonathan Nee. He's the author of The Platform Delusion, a book that comes out next week. Tuesday, uh, September 7th, uh, also professor at Columbia Business School. He also works with Evercore, an investment bank. Jonathan, let's go to this last point, which is uh, where students should be going after school. Uh, it used to be, I think, uh, you know, from prior interviews I've listened that you've given that a large chunk of people were going into finance. Now it seems like a majority of students or the plurality of them are going to work in tech as their first job. Uh, you, you, you know, expressed some, some concern about this in the uh, beginning of our conversation. And so let me just propose this to you. Isn't it a good thing that kids are, you know, leaving school and trying to build stuff as opposed to working in financial services? And I know it's sort of uh, going to be sacrilege to, you know, someone who's worked in investing for a long time. Uh, but I personally think, you know, isn't it, it's more creative. It's where the future is going to be. It's not, you know, just trying to make money off of other people's money. Why don't? Why aren't we going to celebrate this type of stuff? So, uh, so uh, uh, you will be shocked to know that uh, I'm not interested in shilling for the uh, financial services industry. It is true that when I went to, to business school in the 80s and I think through the 90s, about half of the top business school students went to banking or consulting. Though, what those two things have in common is those are service businesses. They're basically sales businesses. Um, uh, and the chances that 50% of the people who graduated from those schools w- would should be in sales <laughs> and should be in those industries was low. People did that for the same reason, frankly, that they're going to startups now, which is it's the hot, sexy thing. And they've spent their whole lives 
outperforming and and telling everybody that they're that they are the the winners of their generation and going at that in that era going to goldman sachs or mckinsey were the things that said i'm i'm a winner uh and in this generation uh going to you know being entrepreneurial and going to either either starting your own company or going to an early stage company is the thing that sort of screams out i'm i'm a winner but in both what those decisions have a couple of things in common. One is that it's not done. Be, it's not done often, not always, mm. but there's yeah. just no way that that percentage of people either wanted to grew up wanting to be bankers or consultants, uh, or grew up wanting to be you know entrepreneurs. Uh, it, it's it's a social construct, and making decisions based on that is is foolish so that that's just something that it has in common unfortunately one thing that they don't have in common is that at least with banking and consulting you'll learn something you mm-hmm. have systematic training mm-hmm. you have exposure to a wide range of industries and functions so even if you fooled yourself into thinking that you wanted to be a consulting or a banker, after two or three years, when you realize that it's miserable and that you're not a salesman or a saleswoman and you want to do something else, you actually will have developed skills that allow you to pivot. Okay. Mm. However, if you go to an early stage company uh, and you realize probably around the same time that that early stage company collapses because by definition, most of them do, that that's really not what you want to do. Uh, the trouble is you're standing there <laughs> with your pants down and nowhere to go uh, because you didn't learn anything. Um, and uh, and you realized that that's not actually uh, that's not actually what you want to do. I also think from a social point of view, if that's what you were suggesting, you know, going and creating this this nonsense about oh you know the you know early stage companies are the <laughs> lifeblood of our economy well you know this reminds me of my work in media in media everybody is a winner if you only count the hits every producer is a friggin genius and similarly if you only count the early stage companies that grow up into become google and you don't net out the 99% of them that close down well yes it's it's a winner uh, but in terms of incremental value to society, having really smart people go to established companies and make them better and fill them with innovation and creativity, the incremental value to society of that uh, is is better than the incremental value of just throwing them against the wall on random startup number 6,400. Uh, now, if you if you, there Wait, hold, are people, hold on. Let me, let me there make are, there are people who here. love to do it. Yeah, there are people who love okay. to do it. They should do it. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh-huh. There is value yeah. for there are real entrepreneurs out there. There are people who really uh, you you know them. You met them. They but there are also a bunch of people who you also know. They're just faking it, and it's a mistake. Yeah. Okay, I, I just want to bring up the counterpoint here because I feel like it should be addressed um, and, and have you respond to that. The counterpoint would be a few things. First of all, the idea that you don't learn in a startup, uh, I think that there's a fair argument to say you learn a ton uh, because you're crossing all these different business functions and you're largely taking more responsibility. 
than you would at a larger company, uh, you're going to be in much you know better shape if, no matter what happens. So that's one. And two is that like, you know, if when it comes to starting a company, you can go, you know, work in a job um, or you can, you know, ha- try to uh, actually, um, you know, get control of the means of production yourself. I mean, it is called capitalism, not laborism. Uh, so it, there, there seems to be, you know, an argument out there. Um, when I think I, I definitely, I mean, I'm biased here. I started my own company, although I did it after working in the, in, you know, for other people for 10 years. Um, exactly. You did, yeah, which is what so, enabled you to do it. If you had done yeah, it, agreed. Like when I you couldn't came have out, done it out, out, the, out, exactly. the, out the gate. No, exactly. But look, and on your first, so that's my answer to your second point. Uh, and on to your first point, are there examples of people who went to startups and and it happened just like you described, and they learned a lot because they were they were doing multidisciplinary things and what have you, and they learned a lot really quickly. Sure, it happens, but more often, what happens is there are a bunch of people who don't know what the hell they're doing, who are running around with a chicken. They have no direction. There's nobody there to explain how it's done. It's not gonna. It's not gonna actually get enough traction for you to actually learn anything re- that is then transferable to any other context that's useful. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you have the, ex- you know, the experience of running around like a chicken without its head on doing a whole bunch of things badly without mm-hmm. anybody, o- without any oversight or anybody to even tell you how to do it right or how to do it better or any way to benchmark. Uh, and then it's over. <laughs> and then you go and uh, sell yourself based on the fact that you did that and uh, that you're somebody who's happy to yeah. run around uh, uselessly um, without learning anything. Right. Yeah, I guess uh, that happens. Uh, it must happen in all jobs um, where it depends a lot on you know the project you're on, the manager you have, yes. the company you're working for, how it's doing at the particular moment. There are so many different variables. Um, but there... Has there been this myopia where people view tech as, you know, a, a can't miss, you know, get rich quick type of industry where you position yourself perfectly for the future? Yes. And it is good to, um, you know, to pour a little bit of reality <laughs> into that. Um, and again, it's not just, question, it, it's not yeah, just tech. Ahead. It's it's early stage tech. So, I mean, yeah. going, to esta- going to an established tech place to 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 learn some basic things before you cast out well to learn two basic things one <laughs> some basic business things and two whether you really are an entrepreneur yeah. that is whether that's, that's what right. you want to do yep and then and if both of those things are the case and you figure that out then blow blow out of there and and start something that's great totally all right. Last question for you. You come into contact with students all the time. Uh, how are they doing? Uh, are you optimistic about the current crop that you're teaching and, uh, and how has COVID uh, impacted with them? Is this going to be something that sets this generation back or uh, do you think they'll get over it pretty quick and be resilient? Wow. Uh, it's a good question that I don't really know the uh, answer to. Uh, because I haven't seen them back yet. We start teaching next week, right? Well, mm. we've, we've, I, I've dealt with them from afar for, uh, for a year now. Uh, I, I would say they've handled it better than I thought. Uh, so uh, I'll give you my, my 
rea- my answer, but it's more driven, honestly, by watching my 17-year-old deal with this than mm. because that mm. I see up close. Yeah. Uh, and it's been very uh, painful. Um, yeah. But I think like with all things in life, um, I think people who are resilient, it will make better. Mm. Um, because it, 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 it will uh, show them certain obstacles that, and uh, how to get around them and also show them certain opportunities that they wouldn't have seen before. And they will, get over, they will both get over it and they will figure out how to use it to actually make them stronger and better. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, I forget what the, uh, what the analogy is that there's two different kinds of flowers and uh, psychologists always, and you often see this with the, in the same family who are brought up in the same environment where one thrives and the other just completely collapses. Uh, and they, they, they call that the something and the something there's two different, there's different kinds of, uh, flowers. That yes, are exactly. Yes. For the, the analogy. <laughs> but, but my point is, my, yeah. my point is that, I, I I don't think it will be a one-way thing. I think some people mm. will will um, will not fully recover or ever catch up, uh, and I think it is all of our collective obligations to focus on those people uh, and do everything we can uh, to make sure that they come back to life as all of us come back to life. Because uh, you know, it's people are built different. In different ways. So I, I do think what you're going to see a bunch of incredible innovations and incredible uh, upside opportunities that come out of this darkness from from folks in category A. But I also think there are going to be some lingering, very serious uh, issues. Uh, and, and I also think there are some dangers about people taking the wrong lessons from, you mm-hmm. know, for instance, the fact that Geez, I didn't realize you could do all of this uh, without actually seeing another human being. Um, so let's just everybody be virtual. That I think there are uh, m- many contexts in which that is a wrong, uh, the wrong answer uh, in terms of optimizing, optimizing businesses and optimizing, optimizing society. So mm-hmm. I, I think it'll take us a while to figure out uh, what the right lessons are and what the right mix is. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, it'll be fascinating to see, you know, how this turns out. And I do really wonder, especially with the young people, uh, how this impacts them, changes the way that they socialize, the way they think about business and, uh, really impacts the way they learn. And, and I think it's fascinating to hear and, and uh, almost certainly true that, uh, it'll be great, a great outcome for some people, uh, who are, you know, predisposed to handle it well, uh, and it'll probably crush others. And, uh, we'll see the impacts of society for, for years to come. So, okay. The book is called uh, platform delusion. You can pre-order it now and get it next week. The author is Jonathan D. Jonathan, thank you for joining. Thank you, Alex. And welcome to Brooklyn. Yeah. It's good to be back in, in New York. I missed it. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to spending the next little bit of time here and uh, yeah. And, and uh, on we go. So thank you to Nate Gwatney for doing the editing and mixing this on a short timeline. Thank you to Red Circle for hosting and selling the ads. We have some new advertisers this week. We're excited about that. And thanks once again 
for you all uh, uh, for listening. Uh, there wouldn't be a show without you and I appreciate you being here. We will see you next Wednesday with a tech insider or outside agitator. Once again, this is the Big Technology Podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.